Hey there, hopping in really quick before we get into today's episode. I wanted to let you know about a couple of exciting things. First off, I am hosting, along with my good friend and colleague Vashai Kanahaley, a holiday mindfulness challenge next week, November 7th through the 11th. So, of course, it depends on when you're listening to this, but um, if you're hearing it right off the bat, you have a few days to still sign up for this. And I just wanted to tell you why we're doing this, right? Because the holidays have become synonymous with sort of chaotic energy, right? And doing all the things, buying all the presents for all the people, going to all the parties, eating all the food, drinking all the alcohol. And while it's super important to celebrate, that's not really what the holidays are all about, right? Traditionally, if you looked at the holiday season, it was certainly about coming together with your community, with your family, but also a lot of time to yourself to really reflect on on the year to kind of call back in the energy that you've expended through the year, right? Right now we're in this harvest season when we're really um, reaping what we sowed through the year. And then we're going to move into that winter time where that quietness is really a guiding light for what's coming up next year, what's coming up in the spring, what next steps we want to take in our lives. But it's just as important to ebb, right, as it is to flow. You really can't have one without the other. And to give your body back that energy that it needs instead of running on empty the entire holiday season and saying, oh, I'll take care of it come January 1, right? I get this mentality. I've been stuck in this mentality before. You know, I used the holiday season, particularly in my 20s and even in my early 30s, kind of as an excuse to just go off course of what I knew um, I needed to do to take care of my body. It's like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, it's a party and then it's another party and, oh, it's a night out for this experience. And suddenly you are drinking you know, alcohol every night. You're eating all of this food that doesn't sit well for your digestion and on and on and on. And then you just feel kind of tired and bloated and not connected, right? And I know a lot of people can come out of the holidays feeling a little bit sort of let down because part of this is that overextension of ourselves, right? And to actually pull back in and connect to yourself is what's really going to fill you up with kind of that true holiday spirit, at my take at least. It's just a different place to be and it's a different movement that you have in your life when you come back to that internal self and the gratitude that can come from that and the really looking at your life in a different way. So that's a long way of saying we are going to host this challenge in order to help you do just all of that that I just said, you know, and do it in the way that feels good to you. We're not saying don't celebrate, certainly celebrate, but, you know, really sort of planning out your celebrations, understanding um, when you need to ebb and when you need to flow in this holiday season. So if you'd like to join us, go to my website, christinegarvin.com. You'll see it right at the top of the page, a nice little blue banner at the top, um, kind of turquoise banner. Anyways, and you can click on there and join our Facebook group. And just to let you know, we're hosting it mostly on Facebook, but we're also doing th- some through emails. So we do ask for you to fill out the Google document that you'll see there at the top of the page on our Facebook group so that you don't miss any of the very important emails. We'll be doing a giveaway as part of the week, and it's just a fun health basket of goodies. And I go into that on the page. Um, So check it out and make sure you sign up. 
on the Google document so we have your email so that you can be entered in the contest to win. So hope to see you there. The other thing I just wanted to share with you, it's not quite live yet. Um, the goal is to have it unveiled tomorrow, which is Thursday. We shall see. That's the goal. But I have a brand new website happening. So basically, we overhauled my website and it really has connected um, to a time when I am sort of revamping my business. And I'll be talking about this on my newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe to that and you'll learn all about it. But basically, I'm going to be working, you know, with people in a different way in 2023. And I'm so excited about it because I think it's going to serve people even better than what I have been able to do up to this point. So truly excited about it. So if you have a moment in the next couple of days, check out the new website and we'll have um, all my offerings on there. And I'd love any feedback that you have on it. So on that note, today's episode is us talking about one of my favorite times of life since I'm in it myself, and that's perimenopause. And today's guest, Jill, is just a wealth of information. And you guys know I love it when I'm able to bring on um, a a professional from the allopathic side or the Western side of um, the the path, right? And uh, that's her being a nurse, but she's also well, well trained in the functional world. So she is such a good bridge between those two worlds. And these are my favorite guests because they have all the knowledge and they drop all the knowledge and really keep it clear for us. And knowing sort of how to tackle perimenopause, which you know, if you've been listening for a while and, and you're in it or anywhere near it, most of I, our doctors, unfortunately, do not know what to do with it. So Hopefully you'll learn lots today like I did, and I will see you soon. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. This week I get to talk about one of my favorite areas to talk about. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that, and that is perimenopause. And the reason that I like to talk about that so much was, is of course I'm in that period of my life, um, but also so many of my clients are in this place in their life and there's so much um, confusion about this time of life. And also just, we've not been taught much about it, right? We um, go into this not knowing what to expect, um, when to expect things to happen. And so we're going to cover all that and more today. I'm excited to talk to today's guest, Jill Shimaleski, who is a registered nurse, certified health coach, advocate for aging women, and mom of four, who is on a mission to change the way we approach menopause and aging. She helps midlife women break free from mainstream way of thinking, where disease and decline are accepted as an inevitable part of aging, and embrace the notion that it is absolutely possible to feel vibrant, healthy, happy, balanced, and strong through midlife and beyond. 
Jill believes that education is the key to helping women understand their bodies, manage their health, and advocate for themselves as they age. Jill created the Perry to Menopause Roadmap and the Beginner's Guide to Hormone Replacement Therapy to help women navigate the wild ride from perimenopause through menopause and beyond. In early 2022, she launched Pausing Together, an online community for women to connect, learn, and open to up discussions on topics that affect pausal women. And that is available on Apple and Google. Jill has been called upon as a pausal guest expert on Women's Health Unplugged, the Period Party Podcast, the Forever Chic Podcast, the Paloma Health Speaker Series, Corporate Wellness Partnerships, Uncomfortable Conversation Series, and the Dr. Louise Newsom Podcast. Welcome, Jill. Oh, that was so fun. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. That's like, that's so great. All the things that you um, are doing in creating for women at this stage of their life, which yes. we know is crazy time. <laughs> Confusing. 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 That's probably the best word, right? We'll put it that way, yeah. right? This puzzle time. I like that you yeah. identify it that way. So let's start off with what that is for yeah. women that aren't, you know, in the know yet. Yeah. And the reason I say puzzles, because I think we've always thought about menopause as this like finale, like this one day yes. I wake up, I just no longer have a period done. Everything is done. And I move on with my life. Mm -hmm. And I think pausal is just sort of, you know, encompasses these years, which start really for most women in their thirties, believe it or not, mid thirties, late thirties, some women, early forties, mm -hmm. and they never really end. It's like you have perimenopause, which is that time leading up to menopause where we have hormonal changes, but really let hormones peak in our twenties. So if you think about it, if we peak in our twenties, unless we get pregnant, you know, our hormones are sort of on this slow, mm. I hate to say it, this little bit of a trajectory downward. Mm -hmm. And then in perimenopause, mid thirties, late thirties, early forties, there's that more sort of accelerated change in hormones. And that continues until menopause when we have really, you know, I, we, we have low hormones, yeah. but they're probably still not even rock, rock bottom yet. That will continue. So mm. that post-menopausal time, we're still continuing to lose hormones, you know, until we really mm. do sort of hit that rock bottom. And I, I'd say that not in a negative way, but just for women to know that they're really, we're not squeezing out hormones anymore like we used to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I know this is sort of a big debate around that when perimenopause starts, right? Because mm -hmm. so often, I mean, I feel like allopathic doctors often don't even think about the perimenopausal time yeah. or they're like, oh, that's the two years before you go into menopause. Mm -hmm. When in reality, you know, I think, well, it's funny that they say it's harder to get pregnant post 35. Yeah. Because yeah. your progesterone is naturally starting to decline at that point. Right. So right. why they don't delineate that as this time where it's, you know, your things are changing. Like officially yeah. you're in that, that period. Yeah. Yeah. They do. They, and they overlap, like you said. So it's like the reproductive years and perimenopause overlap for a while. So it is really confusing. And I think there's so many symptoms of perimenopause that are attributed to other things, mm -hmm. but they really come back to the physiology of the body, what our hormones do. And when they start to change, we start to see changes. And sometimes they're mm -hmm. super, super subtle and they're like little whispers that you almost don't even know that it's, mm. you don't pay attention. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, something really does feel a little bit more different, mm -hmm. but it's such a vague symptom that could be attributed to so many other things. So I think doctors 
tend to miss them, yeah. you know, a lot yeah, of the time. Good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk through what the hormonal changes are looking like yeah. and then what some of those whispers might be and what other areas, you know, women should really pay attention to as they age. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say like mid thirties, again, it's, it's a little tough to say the timing because the world has become, as you know, a lot more toxic, lots more chemicals, a lot of endocrine, what we say, endocrine disrupting chemicals, Mm -hmm. which just means hormone disrupting chemicals, as you know, and those two can sort of play into some of the reasons why maybe women even start perimenopause earlier. So, but if we were to really kind of maybe generally speaking, say maybe mid Mm thirties, you may find that you're having a cycle or two per year that you're not ovulating and Mm -hmm. that, you know, we only make robust amounts of progesterone when we ovulate. So mid thirties, we may have a couple of cycles where progesterone is really low, um, but then some cycles where it's very robust. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a spotty Wi-Fi. I think like there's a little bit of this like communication that's you know, the brain is telling the ovaries to do something. And it's like, you know, some once in a while, not really responding very well. Um, and then we'll start to see over time, estrogen starts to fluctuate. So mm-hmm. it's not like this rapid, just downward spiral. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. And I think that's probably where the, the symptoms get really confusing mm-hmm. because you, you're almost like inclined to maybe make an appointment with your doctor. You want to go seek help but maybe one cycle was like a great cycle. And so you're like, no, no, no. Okay. Actually I'm okay again. Yeah. But it's really going up. It's going down. It's going up. It could be, I mean, it's all over. It's like, it can be erratic with no rhyme or reason. So we have these like years of fluctuating estrogen Mm -hmm. before, as we say, usually the couple of years before menopause, then estrogen starts to take that sort of like nosedive downward and Mm -hmm. sort of meeting progesterone where it's at. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's Mm -hmm. other hormones too. We see thyroid hormone often changing during this time. We see testosterone is also going down that peaks in our twenties typically, Mm -hmm. which women Mm -hmm. don't think about, but we have a lot of testosterone and we need it. Yes, we do. (laughs) That's going down. I always think of it as like the, like the, I guess it's the four M's memory, mood, motivation, and muscle. So if testosterone is changing, we start to see those things change. So we're kind of getting this big, broad, you know, series of hormonal changes, um, all a little bit at different times and yeah. a little bit different for every woman. So it's, yeah. it's a little confusing, but that's sort of the general overview. General just, yeah. Yeah. And I like to, you know, point out that I've had clients who are even 48, 49, 50, right. Which is 50 or 51 is the average yeah. age that right. women go into menopause and will test their hormones and their estrogen will still be like crazy high. Mm-hmm. But it, like you said, yes. could have just been that month and then the yes. next month it's crashed, you know, but mm-hmm. I think so often women think, oh, my estrogen is just going, you know, way down by mid 45 or whatever. And in some cases that's true, but a lot of times that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. That estrogen is just like all over the place for a lot longer than we think. Yes, absolutely. And the magic, I mean, I think we get so caught up in the period, like, okay, I no longer had a period, Yes, but it's really estrogen is what builds the uterine lining. So if Mm -hmm. estrogen that month was really low, you may not get a period, but then Mm -hmm. maybe the next month, you have just enough estrogen so that you've got a uterine lining. So you're going to shed that uterine lining. So that's mm-hmm. where it's like, what is going on with what my body? This major yeah. confusion, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as women, you know, start to embark, let's start with in their thirties, when things mm-hmm. start to change, what are some of the things that they can do to support their bodies at that point? 
Yeah. I mean, nutrients, I mean, it's kind of always, I, I feel like every stage it's kind of that same foundational pieces of health, which I know no one wants to hear. <laughs> Because, Ooh, foundation. Right, you know, foundation. I don't want to do that, right? Like it doesn't help, but it does. And it so, does. but the hard thing about perimenopause, so sleep is going to be huge always. I would say stress is probably, probably the number one that's really going to disrupt that hormonal rhythm in the body. Yep. Um, sleep is a, is a hard one because we're telling women we want them to get sleep. Yet when, when progesterone is going down, they can't, it, they can't sleep, you know, <laughs> yeah. and when estrogen's fluctuating, they can't sleep. So, yeah. so that's where, again, this is where hormone replacement can really yeah. shine. So that's something women can do even in their thirties. But if we're looking at foundational things, it's the sleep, it's the stress, it's the movement, but in a way that really works for your body. I mean, we have to think about building muscle. We're going to be losing it at an accelerated pace. So mm -hmm. those like, you know, and I am not knocking like an orange theory, but it's like, mm -hmm. we can't necessarily, it's not necessarily good for stressed all day to go bananas, you know, for an hour yeah. with our cardio that yeah. really is going to do some CrossFit things. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Even though we want Everybody. to, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's been, and I just think Pausing. That's why part of the reason for even, you know, the, the, um, membership community that I have called pausing together is we are in this 24 seven mentality. And in our thirties, when, you know, a lot of us have kids or it's our career or it's both, there's a lot going on. It's like that high production time. And yes. I know it's like, we don't want to be told to not produce because yeah. that's our society, but that's the time in our thirties to kind of say, you know, is this working? Is, am I getting some little subtle whispers that are making me like my body's changing a little, mm -hmm. do I need to adjust a little bit and start thinking about, you know, not these massive changes, but are there like just some little tweaks here and there that we can do, whether it means getting a little more sleep or saying no to an outing on the weekend, because you do need your sleep or, you know, not mm -hmm. staying up till all hours of the night or drinking as much as you used to or whatever it is, anything yes. foundationally that is going to support the body. That's where yeah. we really want to start. Yeah. yeah. And I know it's hard for a lot of women. I went through this myself. Um, I see it with clients, you know, what you just brought up, the drinking, the alcohol mm -hmm. and how that really starts to impact your body so much more as mm -hmm. your hormones start to fluctuate and particularly with sleep will just rob you of that sleep, right? Yes, it's yes. like, even if you think, oh, I drink a glass of wine to help me go to sleep, half the time you're waking up at, at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. because yeah. of that, you know? Exactly. And so I know that that's a, that's a tough one, but it you will be very thankful to yourself <laughs> in your 40s if you start to come back yeah. in your 30s, I promise you, because I know post 40, it's a completely different world trying to drink alcohol. <laughs> Isn't it? It totally is. And I mean, along with the alcohol, the food, which I, yes. I didn't touch on, but the nutrition, because I think we kind of look at this like, oh yes, nutrition, I should eat better. But thinking about the way that hormones work and the way that they, the, you know, they signal to receptors. So for mm -hmm. your listeners, it's, um, it's like a little satellite dish sitting in the cell waiting for a signal mm -hmm. and they need nutrients to help that communication so that that hormone can signal. And if we don't have our vitamins and our nutrients, our minerals and all those things there, the signal may not be sent. So we can actually help to improve the signal if we can get some good nutrition on board. Yes. Um, and along with that is eating very well, like in terms of slowing it down, chewing thoroughly. We can't digest food if we're just going to swallow it whole. So we really want to just, this is where it's like that slowing down just a little yes. bit <laughs> it will, yeah. will go a long way to really... Yep help us. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I try and always let my clients know one of the best ways 
that you can help your digestion is taking three deep breaths before you eat, right? Because we're just in our sympathetic nervous system all the time running around and Mm -hmm. then we're trying to eat and not digesting well. And it's like for everything in your body that runs in your body, including your hormones, you need good nutrients and you need to be absorbing those nutrients. Otherwise Mm -hmm. you're not going to get anywhere. No, no. So we do all that hard work cooking or preparing and it's like, for nothing, you yeah. know, so it's just makes sense. Three deep breaths. It's no big deal. And you feel so different. It's like, everybody knows when you take them, you're like, wow, you just feel like you just calmed. You can feel this calmness come over your body. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's speak a little bit more to the sleep because yeah. I know that that's a big issue for so many women. Mm-hmm. Um, and absolutely, you know, the progesterone, particularly the oral progesterone, if you're mm-hmm. at that point where your progesterone is really low, that oral progesterone can be helpful um, for a lot of women, what other things before say their progesterone is not that low yet, or, you know, they're not ready to go yeah. on hormone replacement therapy, what would you recommend that they start with? I mean, I honestly, I feel like starting with the, like looking at your day, because I think if you think you're going to be bananas all day, and then your mm-hmm. body's just going to very peacefully, you know, go down at night, it's like thinking about how we would, if you have had little kids before, there's mm-hmm. a process like getting into a bedtime ritual, setting yourself up so that you can fall asleep. So you don't have this, like a million things running around in your head. Mm -hmm. Um, caffeine, I think is really big for women that they don't always connect. I've done it myself. And I think we don't realize how many things caffeine is in, which, you know, coffee actually has really does have some health benefits, but if you're having it at three o'clock to get through the afternoon slump, it's really going to take its toll in terms of trying to fall asleep at night. So, Um, you know, melatonin for some women, like there are things that we go back to nutrients. Mm -hmm. There are some supplements that can be helpful with sleep. There's some herbs that can be helpful with sleep, Mm -hmm. but it really depends on the woman. Um, melatonin, teeny, 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 tiny amounts is really all people need and could experiment with to see if it helps them a little bit. Right. Um, you know, you want to just be mindful because we don't actually make that much melatonin. So when people Mm. are taking five milligrams. I mean, they feel groggy in the morning. You know, we want to be mindful of that. And again, you know, there's other herbs and things like that. Um, sugar too, just thinking about like sugar before bed, Mm -hmm. just being mindful of that, like nighttime routine and what you're doing before that Mm -hmm. so that you set yourself up for better sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I try to avoid a lot of the, you know, I think trying to avoid some of the medications if possible, we just know that the sleep hypnotics, Sometimes you need it. You know, yep. sometimes there are times for everything, yep. but I think we just want to be thinking about like physiologically what's happening in the body and right. addressing, right. The root cause, whatever that is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now women are moving into their forties. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things, because, you know, things I'd say, this is very much averaging, but like 43, 44 often yeah. is mm-hmm. when you start to see some bigger changes. It's not maybe yes. as much of a whisper. Right? Yeah. It's not a whisper. It's a loud scream <laughs> yeah. as we say. Yeah. 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 So f- I, fatigue is a big one. And that yeah. is even a big one in perimenopause early on in like mid to late thirties. We'll see mm. fatigue, which gets attributed to a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Anxiety because estrogen is up. Progesterone is down. We'll see anxiety really creeping in even in women who never experienced anxiety before. And they're like, I have never been an anxious person, Mm, mm -hmm. but this estrogen up without progesterone, balancing it out really makes a difference. So that's a big Mm -hmm. one. Um, we'll see some, a lot of times we'll start to see some changes in in your period. So Mm -hmm. 
not every woman will see that, especially in their thirties, right out of the gate, you know, right. because you can still have a period even if you don't ovulate. Right. I mean, women need to know that always. Yep. Yes. Um, but oftentimes women will see either periods can be shorter. They can be longer. They can be heavier. They can be lighter. Mm -hmm. um, you can skip, you can get to nine months without a period. And now you've got a period again. So that clock resets because menopause is really 12 months without consistently without right. a period. So there's just so much fluctuation happening. Um, weight gain, that's where we really see weight gain um, mm -hmm. heat up. And I think most of the studies show it's in the years before menopause mm. where women are apt to gain the most weight. And oh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not just the, and it, you know, it's not just um, the weight, it's right. the body composition changes, right. which are really hard to see for women, you right. know? So, right, absolutely. Yeah, skin changes, mm -hmm. vaginal changes, even maybe, maybe more uncomfortable. Um, sex, maybe, mm. um, maybe more yeast infections, mean the pH of the vagina mm. changes as hormones change. So these are the kinds of things where women say, you know, I just, am, are, I'm, I'm, things are changing down there, but I don't mm -hmm. know exactly what it is. So that's where we get those kind of heavy hitter physiological symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, although, you know, it's interesting about 75% of women experience symptoms and 25% don't which wow, I'm surprised find, it's that high. <laughs> I know. And we always sort of say the women who experience symptoms are the lucky ones because mm. you want to be thinking about this, that we're all having the same physiologic things are happening behind the scenes. So when hormones change in our forties, we're going to start to have bone loss, muscle loss, like all right. these things are happening. Right. But if you don't have symptoms, you may not be cluing into it. So even right. though I'm sure your listeners are not excited about those changes, it's a good thing. We yeah. need to be paying attention. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the things around that age? You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the things you already talked about in your thirties are important to continue to do, or if you haven't started to do that at that point, but yeah. above and beyond that, what, what should people be doing? Yeah, I, you know, we, so we always go back to the foundational things. Um, I really feel like at that point, and really even when women are younger seeking out help getting a menopause practitioner. And when I, but I mean, that is somebody who really, not someone who did like a weekend seminar on yeah. menopause, yeah. <laughs> someone who understands it because, mm. you know, we are losing hormones and women, you know, used to, we used to not live past 50 years right. of age. So right in, in like the year 1900, I think the average life expectancy was 50. Well, menopause is 51. So it wasn't a big deal, but now we have ex like artificially extended people's lives. Like we have mm -hmm. all of these things that people can do to live longer, right? but we're going to live like 30, 40, 50 years. Yes, without half, half of the life half of our life. Some people. So yeah, yeah. this is where hormones, I I'm a big proponent of optimizing hormones and you know, if the lifestyle pieces aren't doing it, yeah. you've got to go back to the physiology and go back yeah. to the root cause and say, you know what, maybe bringing in a little bit of hormone replacement is going to go a long way yes. to helping to not just alleviate symptoms, but to protect the body systemically. So we're kind yeah. of get like killing two birds with one stone. Um, and it takes a while to find a practitioner. So in their forties or late thirties, that's the time to start seeking someone mm. out who can really help you yeah. and support your body in that way. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think yeah. that does happen, right? That women are 
48 or 49 before they're like, okay, I really, really need help. And then yes. it can be really tough to, to find that support that they need. And you're already sort of past this point. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk now about hormone replacement therapy mm-hmm. because I mean, we've definitely talked about it on the podcast before. I'm yeah. definitely a proponent of it too, for the, the bone, the heart, and uh, what's the other one I'm missing? The blood vessels. The, uh, yeah. The, yeah. And the memory, you know, the I was memory, like, what's the yeah. one I'm missing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could that be? I know. I was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to start my period right now. So yeah, <laughs> that's right, where right. I'll blame like it on going. that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're looking, you know, postmenopausal or menopause years, mm-hmm. as some people call it, you know, these, these are the three huge issues, right, for women mm-hmm. is that, I mean, osteoporosis is rampant, yes. right? I mean, majority of women will have osteopenia or osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, dementia is huge for huge. women and then mm-hmm. heart disease is huge yeah. for women. That's, you know, just starting to be talked about more now. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's talk hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's been this fear of hormone replacement therapy and I won't go into all the details, but right. it's because of the study, the WHI, mm-hmm. which was done and prematurely stopped in 2002, mm-hmm. who, you know, where it was really falsely sort of put out there that hormones cause breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And you know, very quickly there was a reanalysis done and it was, and even at the time it was statistically insignificant, but that's not mm. what was communicated. Ah, drives so me crazy. Right, no, it makes me crazy to trust me. It's like, there's what? doctors that still say that to this day. Yeah. To this day. So yeah. I think women have been fearful of hormones for yeah. such a long time, but we go, if you go, this is where, where you were saying too, with education, you and I were talking before the show. Mm-hmm understanding your body is really will go a long way to help you in this time because we're opt all we're looking at doing is optimizing hormones and mm-hmm. we don't you know hormones are measured in parts per million parts per billion parts per trillion so when we're talking about hormone replacement we're not slathering you know like vats and vats and jars yeah. of cream on our body it's and even in the creams it's 1% to 3% is the hormone the other 97 right. to 99% is the base so right. we're talking about bringing in estrogen we're talking about bringing in progesterone which are both very important for bones, Mm -hmm. very important for blood vessels, very important for the brain, Mm -hmm. all the things you just said, Mm -hmm. um, for muscles too, because women lose bones, they lose muscle, then they fall on osteoporotic bones or your bones with osteopenia, then they break a bone. Then they end up, you know, needing going, not becoming independent. Like we're now, you know, and I've seen it firsthand recently in my own family with Mm. my mother-in-law in a nursing home. No one wants to go there. No, no one wants to be having bladder control issues. All of these things that happen when we lose muscle, like in our pelvic floor too. So we want to be thinking long-term and we want to be thinking short-term too. So, mm-hmm. so I always think about it as like kind of replacing as you go. So as it's going mm-hmm. down, don't wait until you're now 50, whatever, or three years past menopause. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. been this sort of slow trajectory down from our twenties, not to say right. to replace in our twenties, but there's a certain point where we really, especially when you're feeling those symptoms, yeah, we really want to start. We want to make sure we don't lose those protections of the blood vessels. We want them to stay flexible and smooth. And as soon as that estrogen goes down, mm. it becomes stiff and sticky, you know? Mm. And so we want to make sure we're really doing what we can to support the body. So hormone yeah. replacement is, I think, you know, it will probably, it is coming back. We're having more conversations again about right. it, but I think there's been more and more research put out there finally that has vindicated estrogen. We yes. we all we have lots of hormones flowing through our body when we're pregnant. 
We're most of us not getting breast cancer when we're pregnant. So we have to right. be thinking about what these right. hormones are actually doing in the body. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a maybe tricky or sticky question for you. Yeah. Um, just thinking about myself. So, you know, I had fibro, I had a fibroid, mm-hmm. um, mishap and, and all of that. Um, and so, you know, I test my hormones pretty consistently Mm -hmm. and, you know, I definitely tend towards that higher estrogen, Mm -hmm. um, and favoring at different points, the 16 OH pathway or the four OH pathway. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've always, even in the times after where I'd been doing some work, I was still estrogen dominant just recently I was for the first time, not estrogen dominant, mm-hmm. um, which is great, but it was also like, Ooh, is my estrogen a little too low now? Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it was still in, I, it was a Dutch test. So it was still in uh, cycling range, but on yes. the lower end. Right. Mm-hmm. So my question is, you know, cause I continue to take dim and other, mm-hmm. you know, supports for my phase one and phase two liver detox, but this is a tricky area, right? Because I don't want my estrogen to go down too much. Mm -hmm. So in a situation like this, what, what would you sort of recommend or think about it? I mean, I know, again, it goes back to optimizing. I mean, I think just thinking about, you want the balance. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just, I think thinking about the hormone, maybe, you know, hormones, receptor function. How can we make sure those receptors are Mm -hmm. functioning well, Mm -hmm. that we're detoxing the Mm -hmm. hormones, getting them out of, and then pooping, of course, to get them out of the body. So there's this whole process that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it depends. I mean, Mm -hmm. cruciferous vegetables, as you know, I mean, this is the whole rationale behind dim. They're very, very supportive with liver Mm -hmm. health. So I think anything you can do to support the liver you Mm -hmm. want to be doing. Right. Um, and to support those pathways, obviously. Right. Um, but we do need hormones. And even in women who have had fibroids, yeah. um, we, we, it's a unique case by case basis it is. With you, <laughs> yeah. and you go and you, you know, it's low, like we talked about earlier, low and slow, whatever yes. you're doing, even when you're bringing replacement on as well, yeah. um, yeah. you can do dim, but I would say, you know, you want to be thinking about like, pay attention to symptoms. How right. are you doing? You know, and if right. you're feeling you're starting to feel some of those low estrogen symptoms. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're switching off of something like dim. I mean, it's something that I, I usually don't recommend taking it permanently, right. of course, any yeah. supplement. So if yeah. you can do just more of the foods that will yeah. work sort of in synergy with each other to help support the liver, yeah. you, you may end up with that really nice, beautiful balance. And those pathways are, you know, going in the direction that you want them to. Right. Right. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or yeah, if you're, yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it is one of those sort of tough cases. Cause I, i definitely agree with you of not long-term any, um, usually I tell my clients, you know, not longer than three months yeah. without retesting to see, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've gone on and off of it. I do tend to have those high estrogen symptoms if I go off of it, which is mm-hmm. part of the problem, but I do wonder in a case like mine, if it's actually worth testing, you know, yeah. every two or three months to kind of see, cause that could have been an anomaly that month really with the, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm 43. Um, and to see if it's like, okay, am I having overall low estrogen now mm-hmm. or lowered estrogen or was it kind of that time and okay, now it's back up, you know? And so I can really sort yeah. of do based off of that. Well, and the other thing to think about, you know, I, so I don't recommend testing hormones during perimenopause because oh, okay. of that, because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going up, down, up, and up down. down, up, mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have, I mean, the problem is then if you are, you feel symptoms, yeah. but you're like, I don't know what's going on. And I think we are so like tied to data points sometimes. Yeah. 
But all of these things are happening. And the thing about the highs and lows in perimenopause that women have to understand is that's really the brain trying to cue the ovaries to produce. And so you can have even greater estrogen dominance and then these great falls in estrogen Mm -hmm. because the brain is telling the ovaries produce, produce, produce. So Mm -hmm. it's trying to produce, produce is really high. Then it drops again. And this is where it's going to seem counterintuitive, but this is where bringing in some estrogen replacement, I know that seems odd but it's going to calm the brain down. So it's not screaming at the Going, ovaries yeah. and you get this very level estrogen. Yeah. So yeah, typically we say until you're actually, po- you know, post-menopause and you're trying to follow up on, let's say hormone replacement therapy, mm-hmm. um, to sort of check levels. Don't test during perimenopause. Mm. It's too all over the place. You're not going to have a very valid, you know, I guess result. And right. then your treatment is going to be based on that one moment. That right. One moment be... in time. Yeah. 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 Even if so you do symptoms a monthly are test. Probably... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so then yeah. when you uh, work with someone, you would go more based on those symptoms. If you're like, okay, these low estrogen symptoms are here. We're going to try that estrogen. Um, yes. Yeah. And you start yeah. very, very low. And yeah. so um, I work with a doctor, um, Dr. Rosensweet, who has actually mm-hmm. a, a line of organic, okay, they're organic hormones and organic oils. Yeah. And it comes in like a dropper bottle. And what I love about it is for someone, especially in perimenopause, you know, you're rubbing. So estrogen goes on your wrist. Mm-hmm. You're literally tipping the bottle. So if you picture like an essential oil bottle, it's a drop. You can put a drop on your wrist, rub them together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a super low dose. So the lowest dose I think is like 0.44 milligrams. Oh, so, okay. And is that estradiol that we're talking about? It's a bias. It would be bias. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's the combination of the two. And Mm -hmm. so you can titrate the beauty Mm. of that is if you're having a month, especially if you're tuning into your body, usually in perimenopause, you're going to probably, you can stay on the lower ends. You might be using a drop in the morning, a drop at night. Um, Maybe it's just a drop at night to help you sleep. But if you're having a high cycle, a lot of times women know that they're having this kind of estrogen dominant cycle. Maybe if they're feeling, it sounds like mm-hmm. you kind of know when things mm-hmm. are happening, mm-hmm. you can titrate accordingly to what your body needs, which is, mm-hmm. I think the beauty sometimes in, in, um, HRT that has like dosing capability yeah. where they're not just giving you one, here's your prescription, take it every day. Right. We don't want to be all over the map, but when you can titrate in that way, where it's just a tiny, tiny amount. Yeah. And it keeps you level, you'll know in about a week or so you can say, okay, we usually, when we're even titrating someone into hormone replacement therapy, we usually say a drop in the morning, a drop at night or a drop mm-hmm. at night in a week, like see how you feel. You're going to know if, are you sleeping through the night? Are you mm-hmm. feeling better? Do you feel like you're more level? Are all of the things kind of falling into place? No more hot flashes, you know, maybe no more joint pain, whatever you're experiencing. And if you're not, then we usually say, okay, go up to the next, you know, okay, the next week go up a little. So there's gotcha. so much, it's not difficult, but there's a, so much, I guess, personalization with, really HRT yeah. and with all of this, that yeah. it really helps to work with someone who really knows their stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you, uh, often start women on progesterone first or alongside the estrogen? Always progesterone with estrogen, no mm-hmm. matter what, even if you have a uterus for, for mm-hmm. the women out there, because we need both hormones and they really do much better in when they're balanced with mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. Um, progesterone makes estrogen receptors more sensitive as well. So, you know, if we don't bring progesterone on, sometimes women will start estrogen and over time they're like, you know, I'm not having that same effect anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. And these hormones are so they're like a family and they really need to be working together. Well, not all families work well together. <laughs> I guess that's true of our hormones too. They don't always work well together, right. but in a really like Zen family, that's yeah. what we want those hormones to be. Estrogen and progesterone always together. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, so I, I assume with testosterone too, that you go based on symptoms um, in terms yeah. of bringing that in. Yeah. So testosterone, oftentimes we typically will find that, um, women testosterone will continue to go down through perimenopause. Sometimes you'll have a little bit of an uplip and that's just the body trying to make the, um, the brain, you know, the brain trying to make the body like make some more estrogen because we make estrogen from testosterone. Mm -hmm. So sometimes women will say, I'm starting to get, you know, like a few like rogue hairs or oilier skin or something's Mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. They may have a little tick up in testosterone, but we typically find within about three years of menopause, most women have rock, rock, rock bottom testosterone. So oftentimes we're starting that too earlier Mm -hmm. on before Mm -hmm. we get to that point where we are, we don't want to get to the place of rock bottom. So earlier is typically better. And then what about DHEA? Yeah. DHEA as well. I mean, I, so I use the menopause method hormones. And so mm-hmm. my bottle is actually testosterone combined with DHEA. Gotcha. They're all okay. in one. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of women, again, it's just, it's a, sort of that helper hormone. I mean, hormones are made from DHEA. So for women, you definitely want to work with someone on that. I, I because DHEA is also available over the counter, I'm really, I've seen women taking like 10, 20 milligrams of DHA and I'm like, what? You yeah. know, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You really want to go low and slow with DHA too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with all the hormones, but I, I think DHA is, can be extremely helpful. Um, do you think that's enough in certain situations to not have to do testosterone or. I think early on, it could mm-hmm. be enough if the mm-hmm. body is good at producing, if their body is really able to do it's sort of like the raw materials mm-hmm. for the body. Can the body do what it's, you know, it designed to do, but you know, our body sometimes doesn't do that. So sometimes it's not enough, I guess, in my experience and in seeing testing and working with women over the years, um, I haven't seen a woman, you know, who has just DHEA, who, who still has great testosterone a few years after menopause. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. I see, I see the meat, the needle moving a lot more quickly with testosterone than, yeah, than DHEA alone, but it depends on the woman. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the different forms Yes, because I know that, you know, each Mm. hormone sort of has multiple forms that you can take it and that some will work better for some women and others will work better for other women. So let's start with progesterone and talk about those forms. Yeah. Yeah. So progesterone, and we should definitely make the clarification. Progesterone is not the same as progestin yes, or a progestogen, which is another word. There's like all these words that everyone's confused about. Anything that birth control pills have in it is not not, truly progesterone. Yeah, Yeah. it is not. And they're really such different molecules, progesterone made in the body versus progestin. I mean, almost like opposite effects aside from the fact that the both will control the lining of the period if, or the lining yes. of the uterus, if you will. Yeah. Um, progesterone, we typically recommend it, Everyone's different, but we typically recommend oral mm-hmm. micronized progesterone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am a fan of compounding pharmacies because you can start low. You can start, you can make any dose for any woman. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much variability that you can you do there. Um, typically we're taking oral micronized progesterone at night, you may start a woman on 50 milligrams, maybe up then to 75, up mm-hmm. to 100. Some women need to go up to 200, but oral is typically what we're going to need 
to protect the body, to do all those like systemic, um, functions that are, that progesterone does, Mm -hmm. um, and protect the uterine lining so that we don't have a uterus growing out of control. Um, you know, oral is the only one that, that we know of. I mean, there people experiment, there is topical progesterone, which can be very good as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't tend to have those same like sleep and like anti-anxiety benefits. Although some women will say I use progesterone on my skin and I actually feel, I feel better. So the body's fascinating. Right. And like nothing (laughs) stays in one spot. So we know things can cross over, but we know that oral progesterone for most women is going to be the gold standard was sleep and then also with protecting the lining of the uterus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so yeah. let's talk about estrogen then. Yeah. What, what so forms? estrogen is, yeah, a little more complicated only because, yeah. um, so estrogen, we, we want to stay away from oral estrogen at, okay. at all costs. Mm-hmm. There's exceptions to every role, as we mm-hmm. always say, but we know that oral estrogen increases clotting factors. So women know that who are on, well, should know that should be part of their informed consent if they're on the birth control pill it can increase clotting factors. It's very hard on the liver. Mm -hmm. Um, It increases something called sex hormone binding globulin or Mm -hmm. SHBG, which tends to decrease testosterone. So there's a lot of not so great things with oral estrogen, which there's no need for us to use it because we have like this beautiful availability of topical estrogen, which is what we want to use. Right. Um, in topical form again, and for women that are listening, it's just, we're typically rubbing it. There's different places you can rub it, but oftentimes it's on our wrists is where Mm -hmm. we'll put it. Um, but there's a couple of forms of that too. There's also the patch. I'm not a, you know, the patch is fine. Mm -hmm. I tend to like the compounded because I like that there's not a lot of funky other ingredients that are added to mm-hmm. the creams typically, mm-hmm. um, or the oil or the gel or whatever you're mm-hmm. using. Um, and there's a little more control over dosing. You can titrate to your unique dose when you're doing like a cream or something mm-hmm. topically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's two types of estrogen for the skin. We can do, um, estradiol, which is mm-hmm. just one type of estrogen, or we can use biased, which I was talking about earlier, which is two estrogens, which one is called estriol and one mm-hmm. is called estradiol. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we, we go with biased and the reason a lot of us, I think are fans more of biased is because of the, we know that there's more estriol in the body than there is estradiol and estrone combined. So we mm. want to copy nature, mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. know by using biased, we're doing more of, we're sort of producing or giving the body estrogen and a similar way that the body would have estrogen in the body. Um, estriol signals what they call like the beta receptor, estrogen beta receptor, which is more of like that calming anti-proliferative um, kind of effect where estradiol signals the alpha receptor, which is a little more like alpha, you know, like mm-hmm. a little more aggressive, a little mm-hmm. bit more proliferative. So when we're trying to avoid things like, you know, ble- breast glandular proliferation, right. which we get every cycle, any right. with our own hormones, right. biased is nice because it has that balance where we're not going to be overly, um, you know, signaling certain receptors to, to um, proliferate. So yeah, I sense. like biased um, more than I like to sort of single estrogen alone. But I mean, if you, if that's all you have available, estradiol can still be a really great option. Gotcha. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, for both progesterone, I mean, I've probably heard this more often with progesterone, mm-hmm. um, but also with estrogen or bias. Mm-hmm. If a woman decides to use it vaginally, mm-hmm. is that going to just impact the vaginal tissues or is it going to go systemic? 
Yeah, it's so interesting. There's, I, I feel like there's still so much out there. I mean, nothing stays in the vagina. So right. I feel like it's going to go further. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll oftentimes use a certain type of estrogen, estriol mm-hmm. for vaginal. If people have like really vaginal um, dryness, Entropy, vaginal yeah. issues, mm-hmm. because you think about when we're in pregnancy, we produce most like tons and tons of estriol and it's mm-hmm. getting the body ready to deliver baby. So it's really working on that vaginal tissue. So mm-hmm. Oftentimes we'll use estriol. Um, they do, you can put them obviously in vaginally. Usually we're not using, usually if we're going to deliver it for systemic um, effect, we're going to put it on the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to look because vaginal absorption is usually a lot greater than right. on the skin. So right, we want right. to make sure with our dosing, we're being very mindful. Good, yeah, um, good point. And progesterone too, I mean, some women actually, there's some women who will take oral progesterone and it doesn't do what it should do right. to protect the uterine lining. So in that case, sometimes vaginal progesterone can be better and mm-hmm. that may be a better option for a woman. Um, I haven't seen it um, used, I guess I would say, typically it's not used as like the systemic delivery long-term. Plus women don't really want to be, that's, that's a big <laughs> ask there, yeah. like every night say, okay, I put that in or yeah. twice a day with your yeah. estrogen. So on your skin, it's like part of your skin ritual, right. but I feel like vaginally it's, it's a lot to ask unless yeah. we're really more therapeutically trying to do something right. local right. in the vagina. Yeah, right. absolutely. That makes yeah. sense. Um, one more quick question about yeah. progesterone before we go on to the, the forms of testosterone, Yeah. um, you know, with progesterone and adrenals. Mm-hmm. So I've seen this actually with a couple of clients who will go on that oral progesterone mm-hmm. and they will be like, ding at night. Right. Which is the total opposite yeah. of what it should be doing. Yes. So do you see this happen sometimes with, uh, when their, their adrenals are dysregulated that the oral progesterone, you know, either cause of the levels or just getting that progesterone in when the cortisol is dysregulated, do you see that I happening? Have, you know what I have? And I don't know if I can say I've always seen it tied to the adrenals, although it tends mm. to be the women that are really, really stressed out or have had those kind of like stressful, stressful lives. Um, there are some women though, that just need much lower doses. Like there are women mm. that are very sensitive to progesterone, which mm-hmm. is str- in a way strange when you think about it, because we make it every month if we right. are having, right. If we're, if we're ovulating, so that's where like a compounding pharmacy, we might say go down to like 25 milligrams. Mm. You can actually make a 25 milligram tab um, and do something like that or experiment with it. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe before bed isn't the right time. For mm-hmm. most women, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some women, it's not. And maybe yeah. before bed is not really the right time. Right. We want to be working on those adrenals. I mean, if the body's in this stressful state and cortisol is high and we've got this chronically high cortisol or, or chronically low, it's yeah. flat line now because we've been so stressed for so long. We want to be working on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting though, is having low hormones is stressful for the body. So right. it's this fine line because, right. right. We want to, we want to do these things. We want to support people maybe with HRT mm-hmm. and we know not having hormones balanced and, ro- and optimal is stressful. stressful yeah. So then we kick out more cortisol. So it's really this, I mean, this is where we go back to, and I say this all the time, um, you know, working with a practitioner mm-hmm. who is like, this is what they do. Like they don't just sort of on the side, like this is what they do. And it's, you know, for a lot of women, they're thinking it's going to be their GYN 
And it's, it's not, not because that's not how they're trained. It's not a yeah. fault on them. It's just not the training that they get. Absolutely. Yeah. I just had um, Dr. Tabitha Barbara on oh, yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I think she did such a good job of explaining, you know, what they learned in medical school was medication, using birth control mm-hmm. and, you know, to regulate periods and surgery. I mean, and yes. that's the training, right? They, she said they learned as much as a family doctor does about actual hormones and about the endocrine system. It's like all the learning that she did about that was, you know, after she'd already been a doctor for a long time. And so, yeah, to always remind people that, yeah, unfortunately, if you go to your doctor with these hormone issues, they're probably going to want to put you on birth control. (laughs) That's probably the path. Which is not what we want them to be doing, you know, unless that's what we're seeking out for whatever reason. Right. There was, there was actually like an article, I think it was in 2018 in AARP, the magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was looking at like a Johns Hopkins survey and it was, um, I think they said less than 20% of OBGYN medical residency programs even offer a course in menopause. And if there is one, it's an elective, which it's like half of the population is women. So yep. half of the population is going to go through menopause yeah. and it almost is like, that's more, I mean, not half the population is not necessarily going to want to get pregnant, right. but half the population is going to go through menopause. So right. we really need to be stepping up our game in terms of, you know, women. I think we are, yes. I think we're starting yeah. to shout a little louder and say, no, yeah. no, we need some help here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, where shopping around for a practitioner. It's like the earlier, the better, because even if you're not having symptoms now, you will at some point. And even if you Mm -hmm. don't, like we said, 25% of women maybe don't have really obvious symptoms, those physiologic changes, bone changes, you know, the brain, the blood vessels, all of Mm -hmm. those things are happening anyway. Mm -hmm. So you want to have someone that really understands a menopausal woman's body. A hundred percent. Yeah. I want to come back to that in a minute. Let's finish up with testosterone. What are the forms there? Yeah, we really only recommend topical. Um, there are pellets. I know the the pellet people That's out there will probably thing. say, "Yeah." <laughs> Again, we now we always say we never say never. We never say right. never. But they're really high doses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're really high doses. And I think women sometimes, especially if their testosterone's been low and they use pellets, they're like, oh, "Yeah, oh my gosh, this right. is amazing! Yeah. I feel so great!" And they're just like, you know, yeah. just but, but until the acne pops out yeah. and the you know other. Yeah. Not so fun. Yeah. And then we rate, it raises sex hormone binding globulin that, that what we talked about earlier, SHBG, which can be measured on lab work. And then it's going to lock up testosterone. It can lock up estrogen. So it it can muck Mm -hmm. with all the hormones anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We tend to see, yeah, within that cycle, because I think you can get them replaced. It's like every four months or so for women. You have to, you know, they're surgically, I mean, it's not surgery, surgery, but you are surgically going under the skin every time. Yep. Um, we really, the better way to do it is topical. It's yeah. simple. You, again, you're applying it to, you know, I use it. Like I just put it right on my, so I, so I see Dr. Rosensweet and he always says, put it kind of like over your ovary, like where you don't have to put it over your ovary, but kind of like mm-hmm. picking another spot to put something. Mm-hmm. Um, the abdomen is a good place. We want to put it on the skin where we don't, um, typically grow hair because you mm-hmm. can grow more hair wherever you are oh, putting testosterone. Putting okay. Yeah. So we yeah. want to make sure we're avoiding spots. So like women anything. are like putting it on there. Yeah. <laughs> but it could work. I know they're always like, well, right here yeah. on my, my forehead, please. Right. Don't put it above your lip. That yeah. Definitely not. Or your chin. Not right here. Yeah. No, we don't want to do that. So yeah. So topical is beautiful. And it's yeah. just, again, it's a drop or two, you know, if you're using an oil, it's the cream. Um, you know, women can know too that compounding pharmacies can mix 
we recommend keeping the hormones separate, but if someone is like, it's too much for me to think about, you know, they can be mixed sometimes together. So there's a lot of really cool ways. We usually recommend testosterone in the morning though, because it can be energizing. If you think about testosterone. Yep. So testosterone before bed is probably Mm -hmm. not something that we want to be doing. So that's a morning, that's a morning ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the pellets of avoiding them for most people is really probably a much better option. I have definitely seen, um, you know, a couple of clients have come to me after they've gotten that done. And what's so hard about that is if it's too much, you don't have any recourse until no. it, three, four months later, right? Yeah. When it's gone. Yes. And that's the yeah. uh, the hard part, you know? It is. Yeah, it's not pretty, yeah. but no. um, so in terms of finding a practitioner, this is this can be the hard part, right? Yes. So um, can you give some advice on how women can go about doing that? Yeah, I, you know, this is probably like, probably the number one question I get is how do I find someone, especially now in the membership community, mm-hmm. we do Q and A's every two weeks with Dr. Rosen sweet. Mm-hmm. And we, it comes up because we're talking about hormones and HRT and many mm-hmm. things. And I think then women are like, I want to find someone mm-hmm. and they're having so much trouble. I think one of the, probably the simplest ways, or maybe for everybody is calling your local compounding pharmacy or mm-hmm. one that's in the area and saying to the pharmacist, who do you know? Who do you work with that's mm-hmm. really good and really knows their stuff with hormones? Because mm-hmm. they're going to know based on the prescriptions that they receive, if someone knows their stuff or not, if the mm-hmm. prescription comes back kind of you know, wonky and it mm-hmm. doesn't seem quite right, they're going to know. Right. They will know those repeat doctors that are filling prescriptions at the pharmacy over and over and over. So that can be, I think, one of the best ways. And I've, I've from feedback from clients and patients over the years is that's that's been a pretty good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain, you know, like IFM Institute for Functional Medicine, mm-hmm. they do have hormone training programs. Um, A4M has hormone training mm-hmm. programs. So you can kind of go to some of these, you know, um, groups that were the, where, you know, they do hormone training, but hormone mm-hmm. training that you really trust. Right. Um, I, I think those can be maybe some, I would say that's probably like my top recommendations for sites to go to, to yeah. at least sort of search I love um, A4M. They're, yeah. They're great. Yeah. I've gone to those conferences. I really, yeah. They're, they're on good. top of that. Yeah. And they're on top yeah, of Yeah. They yeah. really, mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are, I mean, sometimes I hear different practitioners talking about things and I'm like, because I know what I know. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. You're like, uh. I know not that one. So I have my like little list that I kind of stay away from, but that is probably your best bet. Friends sometimes can be helpful too, but shop around and yeah. get your questions. And when you understand hormones and know what to ask for too, to say, you know, so if they're recommending a, a palette and you have learned about palettes, you'll know to say, you know what, or you read their bio, because a lot of times, you know, if you go down that rabbit hole and you mm-hmm. start trying to find a practitioner, they're going to have a website. You can see their sort of approach to menopause and what mm-hmm. they do. And you're going to get a vibe about whether or not they're really, they're in alignment with what you are also wanting for mm-hmm. this time in your life. So you just have to take some time, just like we do for our like pediatricians or OBGYN. We just have to do the research research it. Um, I will say, and I've said this, Dr. Rosensweet and I have talked about this a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of back to the family doctor. I mean, you want someone who not just went to that weekend seminar at A4M, but really practices it. So just like if you broke a bone, you can go to, you know, a family doctor probably learned in med school how to set a bone, but do you really want to go that route? You want to go to an orthopedic doctor because that's what they know. And that's what they do all day, all night. So with menopause, really finding someone that is 
you, you know, that's all they do. That's really, yeah. or that's the bulk of their practice. I would say that's really where you want to go. Yeah. And the other kind of comment on that is you probably will be paying out of pocket. And I, I hate to say that to women um, because we're used to this healthcare system where, you know, it's, it's, it's not paid for, but it's part of insurance. Right. Um, that we pay an exorbitant amount of money. We do. For. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That we yeah. pay a lot for, mm-hmm. but to find someone who's going to spend, we, you need more than 10 minutes with them. So yeah. you want to sit down with someone for an hour that wants to hear your story. Right. It's not going to be every month that you're going to see them, but when right. you start out, you know, the first year meeting with them, you'll maybe get an hour with them or 45 minutes and then a follow-up visit, maybe for half an hour, 45 minutes. And then you're kind of on smooth sailing. You're seeing them once a year, mm-hmm. maybe twice a year. Mm-hmm. So just kind of in your mind thinking, I'm going to pay out of pocket for this, but it's going to be worth it because they're going to really hear my story and what I want. And we're going to be in a partnership together. Right. So important. Are there any doctors that are able to work nationally that you recommend? Um, I, you know, uh, it's all about the, if they do telehealth, I mean, there's tons Mm -hmm. of menopause docs that will do telehealth Mm -hmm, visits. mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. really cool news. Mm -hmm. Testosterone's a little funky because it, because of the class of medicines it's in, Mm. there's a little bit with, with licensing and being in the same state and things like that. So that is where things can get tricky. Um, with COVID there was some wiggle room, I think on some of that, I don't remember all the nuances, but um, telehealth is a great option. Yeah. Sometimes you might have to go to the state. I mean, when I first started, I literally, I was going to California for a visit anyway. And that's who I saw. I live in Illinois. I live outside of Chicago. I went to California. Yeah. And as long as you see your practitioner in person for the first visit, oh, you can do the rest telehealth. Do. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So that may be something to think about as well. Because you know? I know some people are listening in a small town yeah. that there's just not even an option. You know, no, at all. no, I know. Um, Telehealth is an yeah. option, but you might have to be, I think you do have to be in the same state for testosterone prescriptions. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. fascinating, right? How they decide. No, <laughs> who gets, I don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. This is such an amazing conversation. I could have asked you so many more questions. I'll probably want to bring you back on to yeah, just talk I'd more about all of this, but Tell everybody how they can be in contact with you and more about your yeah. membership program. Yeah, no. So it's, um, I, so I'm no longer working one-on-one with patients or clients. I hung up my one-to-one head about a year ago. Um, I really wanted to just educate women more broadly in a community, but also connect. So I just mm-hmm. launched a membership community called pausing together. That would be the very best way to come in, connect with me. You can ask questions. We've got tons of content available for women. Mm-hmm. And then we do Q and A's with Dr. Rosensweet every two weeks, Nice. all the questions that are being asked. And then we have guest experts more and more coming in. I, I just launched the community this year. So Very we're cool. sort of in build mode, yeah. but um, yeah, it's really fun. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on the Google play store, or you can go to my website, which um, I don't know if you want to include maybe in the, do you include it? It'll be in the notes yeah. for sure. So that will yep. be great. You can learn yep. more about it there mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. thank you for so freely sharing all this information yeah. that so many women really need to know and yeah. have that guidepost because, you know, it is such a struggle. So, so yeah, it's I, my I, pleasure. I, Thank yeah. you for having me. I yeah. so appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Okay. You guys, okay. I will see you next time. 